Welcome to Story Talking, episode 51. My name is Laksh. I started Launchora and I host this podcast where I talk to a new storyteller every week. This week, my guest is Neil Adhikari, who is a musician of all the talents, man. He, he sings, he, he, he writes songs, he composes films, TV, he plays the guitar, he plays the ukulele, and we, we go over his entire career pretty much in, 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 in about an hour or so. Uh, we, we had this conversation just now. Uh, I've been trying to schedule the podcast to be closer to Saturdays so that I can upload them as quickly as possible and as organically and, and you know in the moment as possible so I don't have to feel like I had this conversation weeks ago. And also it helps with the scheduling, you know. So, yeah, but we, we talk about Neil, uh, how, where he grew up and when he got into music. The first time he wrote a song also happened to be the first time he was on stage and how he thinks and how he believes that, you know, music comes out of you. And just one of the most, yeah, one of the most creative conversations, uh, a lot of stream of consciousness uh, type of uh, content that we that we put together in this episode for you. So yeah, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, just to give you a, 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 a list of all the stuff that Neil has made, you can go to his IMDb page, but he most recently he's been working on the What the Folks, uh, which I spoke to, you guys know this, uh, Ruchir Arun was uh, a former guest on the show who connected me to Neil, and uh, Little Things Season 2 is, uh, has, I believe, been composed, and that's going to be on Netflix soon, which, again, Neil did. So Neil's done a bunch of uh, shows with those guys. He's done a bunch of movies with uh, people that you can, again, find on his IMDb page, and we'll go over uh, all of that stuff, so... If you are even remotely interested in uh, being inside the mind of, of a musician and, and how and a film composer and, and just uh, just an all-around fun creative guy, uh, this is the episode for you. I hope you guys enjoy this. This is episode 51 of Story Talking with Neil Adhikari. It was a different vibe. I mean, hmm. uh, I was not like a uber sporty kid. Yeah. I was a bit of an arty, arty kid. And I used to speak, I was decently articulate. Uh, and when I moved to Delhi, I was, it was like class 6, class 7. Hmm. And I'm one of those kids that, you know, Bengali people will say Tash. Tash okay. is a word they, used to, they would use to describe me, which basically means uh, unnecessarily anglic- anglicized. <laughs> right um, or, just a bit like, over the top or, or, yeah just a little bit over the top i mean or like you know a touch colonial right right yeah so uh obviously you know at that age we have a uh, a zero understanding or a rudimentary understanding of politics right and uh we never think uh at that age we all think that we are uh a side of politics we think we are apolitical Hmm. But uh, as we grow older, the same, it becomes very difficult to be apolitical. Uh, I think in, when you're older, and especially in this time and age right now of hyperinformation, to be apolitical, you have to be deeply informed, highly intelligent, and also you have to have done a lot of research about politics to step aside from it. Right, right, right. Yeah, the more, you, the older you, you grow, can't the do less you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one it can't be done innocently. Right, right. That's for sure. It's almost yeah. it's because then you're almost touching naivety, and and that's not yeah. going to help you. Yeah, because then uh, uh, what what uh, in in within politics, most people uh, who are accused of being extreme right wing, mm. um, they're also perceived as naive. Actually, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not perceived as bad people. Right. Like I'm just saying the, the, how the left wing or the extreme left wing would think of the extreme right wing and how the extreme right wing will think of the extreme left wing. Nobody thinks that they are bad people. Everyone thinks that they are naivet and they, 
that they're naive and they don't understand. Right. And yeah. that's why uh, I think, like, you know, people think, I don't know, why are we talking about this? We're talking about life. We, we, yes. we, no, we started talking about the, the different... Delhi. The dif- yeah, Delhi and how it's... Yeah. It just brings so, something uh, else out in you. <laughs> yeah, so I was an art fart. Yeah. And uh, then I landed in Delhi and then I realized it's very important to speak Hindi. Uh, not only just Hindi, but speak Hindi in the proper... Uh, Delhi accent hmm. and be accepted because at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I I love people. I like to be liked. I love to be loved. Yeah. And uh, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I like, I like to have a whole bunch of friends and that's how it was. So from class 10 to class, class 6 to class 10, um, I got my schooling in life. I realized that, okay, fine. It's not all poetry and uh, literature and songs and music, you know, there's other things like, you know, better uh, man up a little bit. Let's do some (laughs) (laughs) push-ups. So were you, but did you already, like, when you, did you already start writing things, poetry and and things like that when you were that age? A little bit of poetry. I was into lots of different things. Like before I, as a kid, I was part, like for three years in a row, I acted as Rumpelstiltskin in my school play so yeah. i was the main lead i was the lead yeah. part for three years from class one class two class three <laughs> every year i was doing this in my school so i was into theater yeah i was i would sing for the school choir i remember that my uh, within my family all my cousins and all they all wanted me to uh, like you know sing bohemian rhapsody because i had picked it up really early and wow. they were really amazed as how like a little boy of my age is singing that so they would make <laughs> me do that that's one memory i have Sure. So, I mean, that kind of, and I used to paint, I used to draw, I was into comics, culture, but yeah. uh, Angrezi culture. Yeah. And your yeah. parents were like totally on board with you, trying out all these things, not focusing yeah, yeah. on all the typical sporty studies stuff. Yeah, my dad was, a uh, uh, see, uh, I had an elder brother who was way more, uh, much more of a uh, intense personality than I am. I've. I still feel that way about him. Yeah. Uh, I feel I'm a little calm and possibly okay with everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not too demanding about uh, much actually, except for my own work, of course. Now I'm old, so yeah. But um, so uh, my parents always actually let me be, and I'm, I've been like deeply grateful to my folks for letting me choose my own path yeah. and not actually shoving anything down my throat. Uh, I guess I learned at a very young age uh, the hustle of not getting into trouble. Mm. Yeah. yeah, there is a little uh, like with with artists and creative people. There is that you know we like being wallflowers where we're we just want to observe more than we want to participate. And our yeah, yeah, and sometimes yeah, our yeah. participation is 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 the art. That's really yeah, how yeah. we want to be exactly, seen and yeah. talked about. Like you know there there is that. A little distinction. That's beautiful. That describes the kind of artist that I think that I am. Right. But of course, there are other artists who can't be taken as wallflowers. Yeah. When they walk into a room, if they aren't the center of attraction, they're trouble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there are two different uh, polar opposites. I think I did, uh, belong to the pole that you just described. Yeah. But I know some very close friends of mine uh, are artists who will not settle for that. So they'll they'll want to be the hood ornament on the car. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's fine. When did work, work. Uh, when did you? Well, what came first? Did it was it was it the writing or was it the was it the guitar? Was it the singing or did everything just kind of clash together? The singing, the singing came first hmm. with the choir sure. and yeah, and everything. Uh, with the choir and everything and um. I think what came even before the singing, now that you, uh, is actually understanding human feelings. Hmm. Uh, understanding feelings in people that were around me. So, like, a, this is a crazy anecdote, but like when I was in class two or three, me and this other friend of mine called Arup, uh, hmm. we were both quite articulate, I think. Right. Um, and, um, we both started something called the romance romance detectives. Okay. Yeah, we that, in, class in class two or three. <laughs> yeah, and that what basically meant that I think this guy likes that girl. 
and he's ah. too shy to show it and he won't show it but yeah. yeah so then we had this whole network worked out okay this guy likes that girl that girl likes this boy i think these two uh, are like romantically involved so romance detectives right. was what we were doing so now that i look at it uh, i just realized that i was stripping off what other people felt yeah yeah and i think that has led me to music more than my singing more than uh, my writing or more than my guitar playing which is the uh, uh, i mean which is the latest development in my uh, musical persona so to speak so yeah yeah so now i play guitar ukulele i program and yeah and i've got into the, the technicalities of music i produce and i understand production so that's a different thing now but it so, all started with human feelings i guess yeah so it, was it coming from the a point of just observing to see how humans interact or was there a was there this desire to understand others so that you could better understand yourself i don't know so all of this happens under the line of subconsciousness so right. uh, it's hard for me to uh, articulate what it was but for sure the thing that i found interesting at that point of time was um, a supernormal uh, em- emotion in another person around me mm. or a supernormal feeling so you know i'm hungry is a feeling right but right. i don't give a fuck about that yeah 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 but you know oh my god i really like her is a feeling which is supernormal right especially right. in that, in that age group yeah so you know so so i would feel that that okay this this boy or this girl really likes that girl or likes that boy yeah. and yeah so yeah what was the do you remember the first song you you wrote yeah so it worked out like this that uh, okay so after my delhi chapter we moved back to calcutta right. and it, within delhi it was like i heard a lot of music of course yeah. and i found myself like an island because i used to like buy cassettes listen to music and then i came back to calcutta and there was no one who was listening to the kind of music that i was in delhi right. so you know i was like okay into suzanne vega tracy chapman zz top i remember i went and saw the uh, the uh, the human rights concert in delhi in 1987 where the lineup was insane because there was like Yusuf Endor, Peter Gabriel, Tracy Chapman, Bruce Springsteen. Wow. Uh and somebody else. And Tracy Chapman was booed off stage. Huh. Yeah, she had in just 87. released Fast Car 87, yeah. yeah. She came in with an acoustic guitar yeah. on stage. Uh, the Grammys weren't uh, hadn't happened yet so people didn't know her. Right. Uh and we were trying to listen to her but all the like the the dance public in the <laughs> center they, they booed her off stage she came back on with peter gabriel and sting and sting was also there wow. and they sang uh, i think they sang uh, get up stand up uh, with her yeah uh, and and then they got the crowd going and then after that obviously you know peter gabriel came on with like fireworks and beats and then they were happy so yeah. uh, why was i talking about this we were talking yeah, about like, the, your first song Yeah. yeah so uh, i was in that zone and uh, nobody in delhi would actually uh, be part of my zone so when i came back to calcutta in class 11 uh, that point i found one guy who says that oh i like ghostbusters i'm like western culture yeah <laughs> amazing you're my best friend and he actually did become my best friend right. so so then i wanted to join the school band I yeah. like you know a step at a time okay I found some people who listen to western music I'm happy okay next like oh my god this is a band they actually play guitars they make it sound oh my god they know how to play hysteria by deaf leopard yeah. they can play fucking you know uh, what are these things so I was like really really um uh intrigued uh, and I told and my principal was like a uber cool guy like yeah. in St Thomas Kidapo he's a guy whose office at once in a while go and hang in while bunking class huh <laughs> yeah at bank class go to wow. the vice principal's office and talk about music right. he himself was like an incredible singer also yeah. so uh, while we were i told him like you know uh, alan sir i really want to be part of the school band what can i do he said okay fine and uh, you just go after school hours you i'll tell charles uh, you go and meet charles and uh, he's the uh, band leader he's the guitar player he's also a singer so he's going to audition you and then you see so i'm like okay so i didn't know how to prep for it 
and it's not like there was, this is pre-internet days, right? It's not right. like you can download lyrics or tabs or anything. Sure, <laughs> it's like yeah. you're tapping on a memory of whatever you heard. Right. So I walk in there and he starts playing Hysteria. I'm like, I know some of the lyrics, but I don't remember it all. You know, it's not like I have a cell phone that I can fucking... Uh, anyway, so yeah. I tried singing some of that. It didn't work. I tried singing some uh, Queen numbers, some Brian Adams numbers. Some. This is 1991. Right. I'm talking about, right? Okay. So, so hence this playlist. <laughs> yeah. And uh, after doing a bit of that, he also got tired because, you know, he's a band leader of St. Thomas School, which has like fucking 10,000 kids. And, you know, I'm sure lots of kids want to like this thing. So he said, okay, all right, man, just like sing anything. Yeah. And then he started playing four chords. And uh, because I had just seen uh, the Oliver Stone film uh, about the doors, uh, yeah, uh, the doors. Just a few months yeah. back, I was in that zone. I was really intrigued by the doors, and I was really uh, intrigued by uh, Jim Morrison's style of singing improv. Like you know how he builds on things. He'll right. give it one line, and then from that line, he'll build on it, and it doesn't necessarily need to make sense immediately. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to do a similar thing. And I, he, so he was playing four chords and I started jamming on it and I started like uh, making some lyrics on the spot too with a melody and then the band suddenly said, bro, this sounds really good. <laughs> this sounds better than the covers we are playing. So let's, uh, this is like, so you were on, making make a song up, you were making the lyrics up to the tune right there. Just, yeah, yeah. Like, wow. like, you know, yeah. he was playing four chords and I even remember like, wake up in the morning, yeah. I can't believe my eyes. That kind of innocent shit I was singing. Sure. You know, this is the yeah. first time I was trying that. Yeah. Uh, she's a sunshine on the horizon and the stars, the stars in your eyes. And then the four, so four chords are going on. Jinka, 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 jinka. So it was like, but it sounded kind of cool right back then. Yeah. Uh, might not sound cool now. But uh, so uh, they said, okay, let's write some proper words and let's make it into a song. And so I got up on stage for the first time with a live band. And my first encounter with a live band was doing an original song. Wow. That's... Yeah, and it just like worked out like that by coincidence because yeah. I didn't have the lyrics to the covers and I didn't have, it wasn't a deliberate thing. It just worked out like that. I yeah. fell into that bracket. And somehow, like once I sang, uh, you know, uh, at the concert and everything happened, I think in my subconscious, uh, in my uh, subconscious mind, it was like a sign. Mm. It was like, okay, fine, this is your thing now. Like I, I uh, like all these other kids can sing well. They've got deep voices. Someone's trained in classical for ten years. He can sing anything he wants. This guy's playing like crazy guitar. That guy can play fast. He's playing drums. I can't even play a tambourine in time. So you know, what the fuck do I do? But yeah. I've composed one original song, and none of these fuckers have done it. Yeah, yeah. So then that became my thing and I like I stuck to that thing and I was persistent with that bullshit all through <laughs> my musical career all through like and now it's come to a stage where I would like want to sing in an accent which would be my own which would be the Indian educated accent I should be identifiable to India but not in a jarring way you know, and not in a, a way of uh, uh, it being like a humorous version of the English accent from India, which is like, you know, brother, what do I do? Yeah. It's not like that. You know, I can. So, um, like, I've followed that. And I've, and even when I'm scoring something, um, I don't like the idea ever of, you know, trying to ape a band. Huh. I don't yeah. like the idea also of having a very well sculpted sound. Right. I think it's too deliberate. You to, want it to feel uh, like raw and, and real in the moment. Yeah. I mean, for it to be very, very real, uh, uh, the sound of a band or an artist, I feel shouldn't be like, uh, I mean, in my mind, it, it can't be too well sculpted. It sure. can't be too yeah. well, like, you know, uh, perimetered and chalked. Yeah. Because if you do that, then at one level you're censoring yourself, you're stopping yourself. Yeah. Which means that there's there's some kind of conscious deliberation that's going on, sure. which I find personally I find that uh, unartistic. The first time you got up on stage, was there that was there nervousness, stage fright, or just excitement? What was that like? 
Well, all of all of the above, uh, and uh, I <clears throat> it was at Nitaji Indoor Stadium uh, in Calcutta. It was an audience of seven thousand people, and wow. it was something that Saint Thomas. Uh, That's like a mini was, concert. <laughs> it's huge. So the main artist was Usha Uttu. Wow. And and the school band was just opening for Usha Uttu. Amazing. So obviously, like the band was really under-equipped for an audience that size, and and it was my first time on stage singing alone. Yeah. Like uh, and that too, an English song with a band. First time singing with the band. So all through uh, the performance, I had my arms folded because I was too scared to touch the microphone. So <laughs> I was standing close to the microphone. I had my arms folded. When I would sing my line, I'd lean into the microphone, sing my one line, and then move back. And. <laughs> Is there any golden video footage of this somewhere? <laughs> I hope Old not, school. bro. <laughs> but uh, I remember that a teacher who was sitting in the front line of the audience kept looking at me all through the, my performance and telling me to free my arms and move my right. arms about. Right. But I didn't. Uh. I was too scared. So yeah, that's how it went, the first performance. But yeah, it went off okay. I didn't forget the lyrics. It was fun. Did you... <laughs> immediately want to figure out a way to get back on stage did you have that feeling in there um not, no wanna, no not immediately no uh, i wanted to like make more music uh, uh, what attracted me much more than the stage was the pad hmm. because that's where i could actually enjoy singing yeah uh, on stage it wasn't enjoyable at all it was just scary yeah <laughs> and also, after I finished, I had to hear a lot about why my arms were folded from sure. everybody that I met. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That's what they so, ended up fixating on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, that's what, like, they wouldn't have even heard my voice. I didn't even know whether my voice was worth listening to. Yeah, just generally, yeah. <laughs> it was not great. So, yeah. where did it, and this is when you were in 11th or 12th, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. where did the... Where was that moment for you when you were like, um, I'm going to figure out a way to do this forever? Like, when, when was that click? Much, much later, much, mm. much later. Because at that point of time, I still wasn't sure. I hadn't thought of the future that much. Yeah. Which, was, which actually was a sign that I'm a musician, that I wasn't into too much of future planning and future thinking. And one of the main important ingredients for being a musician is to really love and enjoy the moment. Right. Right. And and I think I had that in me at that point. Um, so, yeah, uh, after that, uh, I wanted to be, become a graphic artist. I was interested in art. I was interested in advertising yeah. because it seemed to me uh, from my middle class upbringing, it just seemed to be the the right crossover between doing something creative, which also makes you enough money to be right, comfortable right. in life. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, okay, this sounds like a good compromise of everything. So yeah, I would love to do this. Yeah. And uh, I tried. I was no good at it. Uh, I I didn't even know what a pun was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I tried out a little bit. I gave a copy test here and there. But I ended up working in something nearby, which is I got a job at a publication where I would be meeting ad agencies on a regular basis. Yeah. So I worked for Times of India as a space selling guy for three mm. years after my college. And uh, meanwhile, during college, I was like into uh, hand painting T-shirts and selling them for pocket money. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'd make about, I used to sell T-shirts for 120 bucks. I used to buy them for 50 and yeah. make a profit of 70 bucks on it. And with Fevicryl, I would like draw stuff on it. Like, you know, like one thing, one of my hot sellers was Dominic Lopez, City of Joy's rickshaw. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know the city of joy book. Yeah, 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 yeah. That rickshaw, I was to paint like a small one on your chest over here and a big one at the back. Because right. in the 80s, the T-shirts were like that. They would have like a smaller version in front. Yeah, and a yeah. bigger version of the same design at the back, and that was like a cool thing. So, I used to do those because you wouldn't get T-shirts like that here. And uh, yeah, so I was very confused. I I didn't know. I had this art thing. But uh, my uncle was a serious artist, and uh, when I was a kid, my mom had taken me to my uncle to for him to assess that is there any real talent in the boy. Sure. And he had yeah. given me like a royal thumbs down. <laughs> that, no. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, get him into something else. So uh, fine, cool. But I still would like to draw, and um, 
I still do a little bit sometimes, but uh, now I've given it up. So uh, I did that uh, Times of India job. The advantage with the Times of India job is that uh, it was a sales job, so I, it was outside. Mm. I hope my boss listens to this now. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I used to uh, uh, fake uh, client meetings by calling them up and uh, uh, you know spend the whole day composing songs with my friends or in the practice pad practicing for like you know IIT Kharagpur or something we were playing the college fest scenario a lot and yeah. uh, we went through one great run of like winning about 10 or 12 uh, uh, college fests in a row right. uh, in the western band competition because we were one of the few bands one of the very very few bands who were making original music then right. especially in the east yeah. So there wasn't like everyone was like trying to do like a great Robert Plant cover and all that. I'm like, bro, I can't sing that high man. This fucker sing nailing the immigrant song. Yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> but you know, I think yeah. I've got an edge because I'm singing my own song. So was this? So that's how it went. Five Little Indians, or was this is before that? This is before that. This is even before my first band that I formed, proper band, was a band called Wise. W I S E. Hmm. What happened is that we were we were called Livewire, yeah. and we went to play the Livewire uh, festival, which is the IIT Bombay festival. Hmm. IIT Bombay Western Music Competition is called Livewire. Yeah. Our band was also called Livewire. <laughs> so in Indian Indian Express, on the way back, we had a shitty fucking gig out in the first round, yeah. and uh, our drummer stopped playing in the middle of one song. We were a disaster on wheels, yeah. <laughs> and uh, next to us were like greats like Dhruv Ganekar. T2, Anand Subaya, they had a band called Chakraview and they were so fucking on it, man. Yeah. That, I mean, uh, that band, back then, what what uh, the three of them was doing, that I, I, I like that better than most of the jazz rock that's happening now. Yeah. Even by Dhruv himself. Yeah. There were tracks that he was playing then, which if you hear now, they're, they're fucking cool as fuck now. There was a track called Juice of Chrysanthemum. And we were watching these greats. Then we watched like a band from Delhi called Gravy Theory who would like sound exactly like ACDC, like yeah. the real thing. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like, we were like like the worst losers. In the train ride back, there was an article saying that, uh, okay, this band was good, that band was good. And there was one band from Calcutta, which had the most original name. Uh, uh, they, they were called Livewire, just like the fest. The sarcastic, <laughs> one sarcastic line about us. So immediately they're like, okay, let's change the band name, change the band name. Uh, I suggested Vice. Yeah. And uh, it was a train. I think we were on a bridge or something. So someone heard Wise. So I said, yeah, Wise. That's the most unusual band name I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And uh, it actually brings the most pertinent questions to mind because it's not, is it a wise thing that we're doing? You know, like, you know, wasting <laughs> our time with Western music. So we actually made, uh, uh, like, you know, we made a logo with Wise with a question mark. So, so yeah. that was Wise. How long did the Wise last? Wise lasted for a very good run of uh, festivals, uh, I mean, these uh, college festivals. And then we were on uh, the second Great Indian Rock cassette. Hmm. Second and third, I think. Yeah. The first one we weren't on, but uh, GIR 2 we were on and GIR 3 also we were on. So we... we like one song? Were there for, like one, one song, each, one song yeah. each? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a... Uh, yeah. Then the band went through a phase... Uh, where everyone said that we really want to do this for a living, so let's start singing in Hindi. So I was like, I can speak Hindi, or I can't sing in Hindi. So then we tried and we tried and we tried, and then that fizzled out. Like in <laughs> Hindi original songs. Yeah, Hindi original. That, yeah, yeah. But it had to be original, right? Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got someone to write a bunch of songs. We made some arrangements, and now looking back, I realize that if those songs, which we wrote about 15, 17 years back, hmm. if they were to be released now. Fuck, it would just cut it, man. It would just, yeah. like, rip the fucking scene apart. Because <laughs> it's just... This is what, like, rock on, shock on, all that stuff that's happening now. Yeah, yeah. This is what we were doing then, about 18 years back. And that is actually the measure of how... of how backdated or how dated the usage of rock music is yeah. in Bollywood today. Yeah. And timing they just don't get it, man. So, so They're important. using, like, uh, like U2 devices... When I say devices, I mean songwriting devices, arrangement devices, or uh, uh, hooks, yeah. grooves, bass lines. It is all from that zone. What we were doing back then is perfectly in tune with what the uh, Desi Rock situation is now. Yeah. 
So, so what happened uh, after Wise? What did you do? Uh, Wise broke up. Then from Wise, uh, oh yeah, Wise, I ended up getting out of that because um, I I used to watch this band called Crosswinds. Hmm. And I used to watch all their shows, and I, we were like, you know, real fucking groupies with the uh, band. We used to carry the equipment, and our guitar player was uh, uh, learning from uh, the guitar player of Crosswinds. And so, and I used to be in awe of them. So when the Crosswinds vocalist uh, had a fallout with the band, so they uh, asked me to join them as a singer. So it was like hmm. a, like a mini dream coming true. Right. So I joined them. But I joined the band Crosswinds at their worst phase ever. Hmm. So for a year, we just rehearsed. We just rehearsed and cover music right. uh, to make like a solid list so which we can play at college festivals and yeah. 31st December and what have you. And for a year, we didn't get any gigs. Uh, I was still... Um, at that point of time, I had just... like I was still doing the job. I had yeah. shifted from... Times of India to this uh, Maverick ad agency called Equus. Yeah. And I was client servicing for them. I still hadn't made it to the copywriting section, which was the target zone. Right. <laughs> so, um, and my client was Park Hotels. So, uh, I uh, knew the Park guys and they knew that, okay, this guy, boy works for Equus and he's in a band and Park was just starting someplace else in that point of time. Yeah. And Crosswinds was a well-known herd of band which was inactive. So I told Abhijit Bose. Abhijit Bose is the guy in Park who created someplace else. Hmm. I mean, it was his brainchild and you know, wherever he is, if he's hearing this interview today, hats off to you. You are the man who made Calcutta have a music scene again. So, yeah, yeah Abhijit Bose. I mean, people know him. Yeah. So, um, uh, the thing is that he uh, uh, he asked me, okay, I want to come and see you guys perform. So, we had one free show that we were, had to do at Music World on yeah. Park Street. And we were playing there. And uh, Abhijit Bose was going to come and see us and check us out to, you know, to check out whether we should get a slot at some places. Yeah. So, uh, on the other hand, to do that gig, uh, Swapan Seth, who was my boss in Equus, uh, he wanted to test where my loyalties uh, lie. So, he said that, Neil, there's a meeting. Ask them to get a different singer or ask them to just cancel your gig. I said, I can't do that. I've never missed a gig. And there's, if there's one thing that I don't do is that I... I when I've given my word and I've given my commitment, I never fucking fall back on it. Even if I'm sick, or I'll fucking go and do the gig, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. So, and that's how it's been after that. You know, I've been sick on stage, singing away. I've had like a bad throat, whatever, you know, uh, or like, you know, even like fever and all, but like I've all planned it up for the gig. Yeah. Uh, so I told Swapan that, you know, he said that if you are doing this gig, then you, uh, uh, you then uh, you might as well resign because it's not going to work out. So I spent the full day walking around Equus with a, a resignation letter fully written out in my back pocket. Hmm. And he gave me tension till the last moment. And then I went to uh, Music World and I did my gig. And Swapan also landed up for the gig. And then at the end of the gig, he said, yeah, man, good one. I was just like testing you and all that. <laughs> you know? But it was great that he tested me. And I'm really happy that he did because that day made me realize that, yeah, okay, this was a mock situation. But tomorrow it will be a real situation and I've got to choose life now. Yeah. And that's the point. That's the that's the day which made me realize that, okay, I'm going to give music a full-blooded shot now. And within a week of that, I quit Equus. And yeah. I, uh, uh, like, and just, and within a week of me quitting Equus, Abhijit Bose, who saw that particular show of us, gave us the Tuesday slot at some places. Yeah. Which meant a big thing for the band because it just meant that it was a job as a musician. Right. You're playing every Tuesday. And so whether you get big gigs outside or not, you have an audience. Right. You have right. a reason to practice and you have some income coming in. Yeah. Very little, but like something. So, I mean, and that taught me one thing. It taught me that if you like take a leap, yeah. a bridge will appear under yeah. your foot. Like, like in the movies. Yeah. Yeah. And it really did. And uh, since then, leap after leap, I've taken. Like, it's like, you know, from uh, moving cities to moving bands to getting, uh, or even like, you know, uh, changing my life. 
uh, yeah, I've not been scared after that anymore. It's just that, you know, uh, when I take this step, uh, we'll figure what happens next. And that's been my approach, even with music, even with like, you know, uh, uh, like, okay, there are many examples I can uh, give, <laughs> but like, yeah. So let's start getting a little more specific now. Mm-hmm. The when did you get into playing the guitar? When did when did you pick that up? Around then, like you know, um, uh, it's not specific when I picked up. I think it was about uh, when I was twenty twenty one, really late. Yeah. And uh, I would I borrowed someone's guitar, and I would I didn't go and learn from anyone at all. Yeah. I would just like play it on my own a little bit. I'm still I don't consider myself like a guitar player. Right. I've never been called for a guitar playing session. Sure. Uh, yeah. I've been called for a ukulele session, though. No? Okay. Yeah, which I've just picked up years that, back. Okay, that that's recent ukuleles. Yeah, yeah, and I've, uh, have you seen this film called Piku? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So does that ukulele line that goes on all through the film? Yeah. That's from that's played by me in a song. Uh, called the journey song within Piku and the song starts with my ukulele line oh, and wow. uh, then they took that little piece and they pasted it all through the film so I just picked I'll the song. I'll have to rewatch it now to look for it yeah I remember but uh, I remember, I remember the, the movie yeah. had a, a very subtle background score going on. Yeah that was done by Anupam Roy, great job mm. he did and um, yeah so there's uh, Deep Tang Shu played some mandolin and I played the ukulele part so it was fun. Uh, but anyway, uh, but getting back to guitar, so I would always like I didn't have a proper schooled approach. I didn't learn scales. Yeah. I what what would really really trip me out on the guitar is to just hold strange shapes and yeah. get some magical beautiful sound coming out of it. You know. Yeah. So so that was my my trip. Like you know, I would like try to hear something and try to figure it out. I wouldn't be able to. I'd get something close by nearby, but maybe more strange and and beautiful in a different way. And then I, my mind started training itself to chase that, right, you know, right. then I would play games with myself. Like I would close my eyes and I would play, place my hands on the guitar and hold a shape. And right. then uh, some sound would come out of that. And that sound would have its own persona and characteristic. And then I would chase that. Hmm. I would like move, uh, move fingers around and then find like the second chord, the third chord, the fourth chord. And I would I'd chase that. And that's what, that was my approach to songwriting also. That's what started me off. So now let's jump a little ahead to composing. Yeah. When did that come together? At at first it was about okay, I want to write a song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was even before I was familiar with the term singer songwriter. It wasn't in my vocabulary. Right. Because in the nineties, uh, at least like it might have been a genre out there, but I was not hip to it. Hmm. Something that I didn't know that there's a genre called singer-songwriter or that when you play a lot of acoustic guitar and uh, ukulele and you write your own songs, you fall under the bracket folk. I didn't right. even know that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just doing it. So, yeah. uh, so like composing uh, became like more mature after a while. Uh, I, I've always like initially I started out as a singer, you know, like a flaky singer who would be like getting the lyrics wrong and wouldn't pick up the song and yeah. uh, didn't know what he's doing in life. And then it got serious uh, down the line when I started, like parallelly I was doing production. So I would also be trying to make electronic music, like, you know, I'd like get some beats down from Fruity Loops. And then I remember uh, one of the first things I composed, uh, which was electronic, yeah. was a Fruity Loops track which called... Uh, I don't know what it was called, but it was strange. It was like a mosquito did push-ups on my arm. Seemingly, it meant no harm. Uh, and <laughs> it just went on like that. It was like a train of consciousness kind of uh, sure. uh, uh, yeah, uh, process. So I actually, uh, because I didn't learn from anyone, I had many, many different processes myself. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, I spent a lot of time and thought uh, on composing and yeah. on how to... Uh, on how to be original, right? And I found it's it's uh, maybe it's a very uh, wrong method, but it works for me. Is that I am uh, I haven't heard like humongous amounts of music, right? Like tomorrow, a person will come at me and give me names of ten Beatles songs, and the chances are that I might not have heard four of them. 
But that's sacrilegious for some other musicians out there. Sure. They'd yeah. be like, what the fuck, dude? I, are you fucking human? Yeah. Right. right, right. I, I am human. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's precisely why I haven't heard those four songs. Or maybe even if I have heard them, uh, I don't recognize those tunes with the names that they have. Sure. Yeah. And similarly, uh, the other thing is that uh, another big hole in my listening is Bob Dylan. Right. Never got into uh, Never got into him. Never got yeah. into him. And I've always, in my mind, saved Bob Dylan and the overt listening of jazz music yeah. as a retirement plan. Yeah. Because I would yeah. see around me uh, singer-songwriters who are deeply influenced by Dylan. Right. And to, in my mind, there was nothing worse than a second-hand Dylan-esque singer-songwriter. Right. If you listen to these iconic sounds too much then you wouldn't be able to separate them when you make your own stuff in a way yeah and also not only uh, and why won't you be able to separate them is because uh, there's too much of reverence attached to them right right and uh, at one point i learned not to like i was deeply into sting right i was deeply into the police and sting and i was i really used to love what sting would do because he would like incorporate Again, like I, that was a production mindset that I had. Yeah. Suzanne Vega, Sting. These people would produce their music very differently. Yeah. They would like take Afri- African music, Latin, and then mix it all up. And that would really appeal to me always. Right. Yeah. So, um, but I grew out of both these artists completely. Right. Completely. <laughs> like, like at one point, I was like, what the fuck is Sting writing, man? This is the worst shit I've ever heard. I mean, how can you do that? But I'm really happy because he's come back now. Sting just re- recorded an album called 57th and... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The place where... It's actually really good. Huh? The place in New York where he got started. He used to play there in that spot or something. That's why he named it that. Yeah, and I think he recorded this album in a studio yeah. on that spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, that, so these were my... Uh, these were like I was into Tracy, Tracy Chapman, Suzanne Vega, and the other thing that I realized about myself uh, now is that I was into a lot, a lot of uh, women artists. Yeah, yeah. And people around me at that point of time weren't actually, and I, I don't know why. It's just like, uh, but like uh, most guys that I knew. There was that level of patriarchy in the situation where there wouldn't be. Uh, I mean, they'd be listening to Van Halen and they'd be listening to Iron Maiden. I never liked Iron Maiden. Yeah. That was another thing. Yeah. Like, uh, again, iconic band. And if you are a rocker, you can't not like Iron Maiden. I don't fucking like them, though. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Shoot me shoot me in the head if you want, but I don't <laughs> like them. Yeah, I never did. I liked, like, one or two songs by them, like, Can I Play With Madness? But Wasted Years and all that with those amazing riffs, like, incredible riffs. But there was something too... Um, I don't know, too square mm. about those about those chords, about the way it was presented. It was very powerful, but yeah. very square. So um, that's why I had a problem with that. Uh, and um, so I, I shaped myself according to my likes as a composer. And uh, I would like, I had that, that, that necessity of having one tiny unpredictable thing uh, in every song that I made. Sure, yeah. I mean, no matter how tiny it was, even if it was just to satisfy me and yeah. nobody else could spot it, fine. <laughs> but it had to be there, something. So, and then, so yeah, now let's go towards the jump on, jump towards uh, composing for movies and now stuff for dice and everything. When did yeah. that phase of your life uh, come together? So I had a band called Five Little Indians and yeah. we were uh, trying to create a new sound and uh, the band was like torn apart in various directions because Alan uh, had just come back from a hiatus from music. He was getting back into the scene. He was, he had played and he was fully into Iron Maiden at that point in time. He had picked up every Iron Maiden song. Right. And uh, I had just suddenly gotten into Radiohead. Yeah. Uh, after ha- having a major Coldplay bout, yeah. I was like now going into a uh, uh, really Radiohead, Tom York kind of scene. Yeah. And then uh, the, we had one classical singer. We had our, uh, our drummer who was into uh, Porcupine Tree and Tool. So it was like a 
you can just see it's like it's very crazy interesting mix <laughs> very very interesting mix and i myself also had a fusion band at a point of time in 2006 i was touring with my guruji we toured the us uh, using ableton 1 <laughs> hmm. yeah now everyone uses ableton i'm i'm off ableton now. i'm done with it yeah. but um, uh, i used ableton 1 and we toured with a nylon string classical guitar playing and i would sing a little bit of uh, english stuff he do a lot of alaps and sing some bandishes and we'd like have these long ass tracks each track would be like 12 minutes long 7 minutes long yeah uh, electronic yeah, but yeah. with a little bit of like nylon string and all i think we were ahead of our time and uh, we didn't really achieve much success and sure. after a while i kind of lost interest in that music also so i mean i had all of this in my system so i had learned right. indian classical i had this slightly explorative uh, attitude towards chords yeah. i was writing songs on my own so that was the raw material that i had and i had this band called five little indians now one day q comes in and watches one of our gigs at uh, a place called la, la dolce vita in calcutta which is underneath the film hall yeah. uh, that place wasn't regular with gigs they had just started doing some gigs so they put like a massive uh, entrance fee uh, for the thing which wasn't even a cover and yeah. i mean 300 bucks like uh, 9 years back in calcutta to pay 300 bucks to go in and watch neel whom you can fucking see in his practice by any time you want right. was something that people wouldn't do so so a lot of people came massive crowd outside nobody came in q and his girlfriend and i think one other person they came in and they watched the whole gig so we played the whole gig just for them wow. it was empty yeah and uh, at the end of it he was like wow man i really like you very cool and all that i'm shooting a documentary for srfti i'm going to bring the whole team and we'll do a documentary ar- uh, around you your one of your practices I'm like that yeah, cool for sure yeah we were working on our album at that point of time so he came in uh, and he shot this whole documentary and everything it was great fun then just before he left he said that uh, listen i'm uh, you guys into rap rock that yeah. rage, rage against the machine was there and we were all into it so we were like yeah sure so um, he uh, said that you know i've got some really like you know uh, expletive rap and uh, i just want to like see how it sounds with the band let's try something so we have some riffs we started playing some riffs yeah. we started rapping on it and it just sounded fucking explosive right it sounded like like you know we were all like like in awe of how good this whole fucking situation was sounding because he was loud aggressive abusive and we were fucking going for it and uh, it was just incredible and that's how gandu happened the movie uh, first the, the soundtrack happened before the movie right 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 so q just had loose lyrics i yeah. don't think he had even like decided that he wanted to make the movie at that point of time hmm. he just had all this so then he came and we practiced a bit and after i think two or three practices he said listen i'm making a movie and uh, this is this is going to be the soundtrack of the movie and this so we were all like yeah oh cool nice <laughs> we weren't like really excited about it because at the end of the day it was it all seemed very suspicious sure so we were yeah. like you know and and what is this like and then when he finally told us that you know uh, the film's going to be called gandu yeah we were like what Yeah. No, I mean you, you can't do that to that? us. <laughs> we want we want to be cool. Like, you just fucking can't call us Gandu. Gandu wasn't cool at that point of time. Yeah. And uh, then whatever he went with his decision, he was going ahead with that. Then the film got made. We all saw the film. Half of us uh, liked the film. Half of us didn't like it. Whatever. Um, and then uh, it came to a point that he got us a gig in Poland. and we were all supposed to go to poland at to play and the the deal was that uh, five little indians would play half uh, its originals and it would do half the gandu set and would do the gandu set so like together it would be like a big long one and a half hour set and sure, we'd also get yeah. to play abroad and so would q yeah so that was the plan but uh, the band started acting really thing about how much time we should spend in europe i was of the opinion that we should spend more time there and uh, try and explore the scene and get a few more gigs yeah. uh, impromptu gigs and you know try and do that scene and they were like no it's damn expensive we should just should go play and come back the next day yeah so arguments got heated and the band broke up wow in poland no the band broke up while discussing the visa meetings and oh, all of okay. that in so yeah so, okay got it and it it got uh, like alan was the first member to leave then dodo said if you're leaving i'm also leaving 
Then I was the third member. I said that it was my band. I said that, okay, if you guys are leaving, I'm also leaving. Fuck it. Right. Five Little Indians ceases to exist. And <clears throat> it was done. I waited till the evening to hoping that they'll say that they're not going to sing, but they didn't. Yeah. I mean, no one said anything. The band stayed broken. So I was like, fine. Yeah. So then I went to Q where I told him that, bro, it's all gone. Yeah. Whatever the fuck I worked for, for the last two or three years, it's over. Yeah. And now the only thing that I have left is this. And I like the film and I like this music and uh, I'm not scared. Yeah. Whatever the fuck happens, I'm not scared. Yeah. So uh, we also had the fear of uh, uh, being chastised by the government. Sure. Because that kind of shit was happening at that point of time. You know, like there were some uh, cartoonists and some professors who were sent to jail for forwarding a cartoon about the chief minister at that yeah, point yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah. That kind of shit had happened. So <clears throat> it was scary at one level. But I said that, you know, fuck it. Like, it's all gone now. So I'm, this is all I have that I'm doing this. He said, yeah, cool. Let's do it. Let's do a digital version of it and with a laptop and whatever. You've done this before with your Guruji. I'm sure you'll manage it. And then uh, on the original DVD of Gandhu, yeah. uh, in the uh, BTS, there is that that actual candid moment when I walked into Q's office and I said, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do, but I'm doing this. Yeah. So he actually has that on, on there. So <laughs> so that was how I got into films. Yeah. Like almost like accidentally. Yeah. And while we were touring in Poland and all that, he said that my next film is going to be Tashid Dish and I want you to do it. It's going to have 20 uh, Rabindra Sangeet songs. Hmm. And I was like, I don't like Rabindra Sangeet and I've never heard it seriously and I don't know how to sing even one. Yeah. I said, that's great. That's great. Then. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted from this situation. So I said, yeah, cool. So again, that was again me uh, addressing that that belief that I have of diving into something which I don't know how I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. But figuring it out on the fly. Yeah. And that I think was an example which I'm I'm proud of. I'm proud of that moment where I said yes and I actually dived into it and I like six months of my life just disappeared. Like there was nothing apart from Tashindesh going on. I was working like forty eight hours a day, if that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, it took about a year to finish that. And then, like, after doing Tashidesh and rearranging all those Ravinder Sangeet songs, my ideas of arrangement and everything, I had collaborated with uh, uh, Sushila Raman. Hmm. She sang one song. We collaborated. Uh, Sam Mills was collaborating with Anushe Anadil from... Anushe is, like, world-class singer. She's from Bangladesh. She's, like, one of the most incredible singers I've heard, like... Sushila, Anushe, these, and I was like collaborating with these people and they were in my house. Uh, there was this DJ called Mook Conspiracy who was working in the drawing room. Yeah. Uh, Anushe and Sam Mills were working in the bedroom song. I was in the studio with Sushila Raman working on a different song and Seth, uh, who was Anushe's uh, uh, boyfriend at that point of time, was mm. sitting in the drawing room with headphones playing his guitar. Seth was actually the guitar player for Ike Turner. Wow. So everyone was fucking heavyweight yeah, in the house, yeah. and we were, and I was getting that crazy exposure, uh, and it was all happening in my house, and so, so it was great exposure. And at the end of that, I knew that I could take on anything. Yeah. So after that, I started doing all of Q's films, and then other films started coming to me. And even before that, I was doing like you know corporate anthems and ads and what have you, you know. So and you. Moved to Bombay by then, or were you still? In no, no, I moved to Bombay just two years back. I'm okay. 43 now. Yeah. I moved to Bombay at 41. So. And was that just to be closer to the work, or were you kind of wanted to move past Kolkata? Um, wanted to move past Kolkata. Hmm. Yeah, because um, also in terms of attitude of the people, yeah. and that uh, that's little clear mindedness yeah. about what you want in life. And how to keep it uncomplicated and chill. Yeah. And also having just, just like a sense of humor or me having a sense of humor that people would get. And sure. wouldn't, like, yeah. they wouldn't get me wrong. And, you know, there'd be no moral baggage around some dirty joke that I'd crack. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I love the people in Bombay. And I think, yeah. like, they have that. I'm not they're to say that forgiving. my friends... <laughs> I, I won't say they're more forgiving. It's just that they're less involved in your life. Uh. Yeah. So they'll so they'll take you more at a surface level, and uh, won't really have that strong an opinion on what you do or say. Yeah. And that just frees you up a little bit. 
to just like you know yeah. and also the work i like right now i'm in my 40s right when you're in your 40s i feel one massive change that happens is you realize that there isn't much time left right for you to for you to do what you really want to do in life so you do whatever you're doing a little more seriously and i think it's a good time for me to be here because you know music doesn't happen in isolation and you work with a lot of people and yeah everyone that i work with now is i work with just actually i'm working with uh, uh, one guy called sanjay das he yeah. just finished his music technology in london and he's just 23 i've been working with him for 5 years but wow. and he's the only yeah. guy that i work with seriously i work with another person called shotrik uh, ziko for a little while uh, but now sanjay's moved back here so i'm working with him so uh yeah i'm i'm handling like a whole bunch of films and series uh, right now and it's all with just him so just two of us so mostly. yeah now now let's uh, skip to the most recent work which is all the dice shows you're doing yeah, about not, two or three not, of their shows uh not only dice it's a lot more since yeah. i moved to bombay yeah uh, i'll just give you a rundown of the shows that i've done i moved yeah. to bombay and i started doing a whole bunch of reliance uh, corporate films uh, which is great uh, yeah. and um, then uh, got into uh, little things season 1 right dice yeah uh, uh, the director ruchir i was actually uh, uh, working with ruchir and q who were working on a script together uh, at a point of time and that's where i met ruchir and that's where i he heard some of my songs and he really got it yeah. he's he suggested me to dice yeah. and uh, that's how dice took me on so little thing season 1 what the folks which is directed by ruchir himself it was great fun to do yeah. so what what the folks happened uh, after that um, i worked with uh, t2 uh, who's again a fantastic young super energetic director from here who did lakhomek for yeah. amazon yeah uh, after lakhomek uh i did boss the uh, balaji balaji show, show. yeah 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 uh, uh, where uh, q and me did the songs hmm. for it but uh, andy mckay did the background score okay so uh after that we did uh, uh i did garbage q's film yeah then i did zero kilometers q's web series then uh, we got into little things season 2 Yeah. Uh, which uh, just just yeah, just yeah, completing yeah. as we speak right and uh, during the completion of little thing season 2 another very quaint uh, wonderful little film came uh, my way called kia and cosmos okay and uh, we've done the score for it where uh, the director was actually great because he didn't he had a certain degree of faith in my work already from yeah. what he had seen and from recommendations and he actually didn't interfere too much yeah. so we ended up getting like a really fantastic score for it as i'm just dying for this film to be out so it's at that and stage who, where i'll be handing over the script right now who is making kia that and cosmos k i a and cosmos it's about an autistic girl whose uh, whose cat has been murdered and the whole film is an investigation of her cat and yeah. the uh, um, i mean of the death of a cat and uh, the small little relationships that she has around like she's friendly with this teacher she's friendly with the rickshaw wala so, so is it like, like a little like dark comedy or what's the tone of the movie then um no it's not dark comedy it's quite emo okay. um uh, the girl's autistic yeah. and uh, uh, well uh, in terms of tone and feel the the attempt is to be slightly magic real hmm Yeah. In terms of like you know we we've been exploring her her headspace her POV also. Sure. Yeah. 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 And uh, it's a little verite because it's uh, not fast paced. Hmm. Yeah. So it's nice. Uh, I really enjoyed this film. That's also done. Um. Next thing I'm starting is What the Folk season two. Yeah, that's filming right now, right? I think that's they're, they're right just now. starting. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's uh, and that will be over also that's going to be really quick we're going to work very fast on that yeah and then I'm getting into uh, my first bollywood film called sheet india where I'm doing background music okay yeah. and who is that for uh that is uh, I mean that's a film for a production house yeah. uh, called uh, ellipse uh, entertainment and uh, uh I'm working with Shomik Sen the director of uh, Gulab Gang Okay, right. Yeah. And uh, he they've just finished shooting in Lucknow yeah. uh, with Imran Imran Hashmi. 
So uh, I'm really looking forward to it because this is not your standard plot. Uh, it's slightly different. Um, so I'm not going to talk about this so much because I've signed a contract. Sure. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that they are going to do their own publicity, but it's a sure. very, very interesting film. It's called Cheat India. You should watch out for it. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. And uh, like I have said yes to it because the, the plot and the storyline sounds really, really promising and interesting. So, so I want to, I want, I just want to, before we close, I have mm. one, a couple of quick questions about the process. So okay. one of the things that, you know, like I'm, I write, I'm a writer and I do like short stories plays. I eventually want to make, I want to make movies myself. Right. But the one thing that I've always been afraid of is that I don't understand music. Right. I don't understand how it is created. I, I can, I mean, I understand hearing it. I understand mm. the emotions, but I only get it as an audience member, you know? So mm -hmm. let's say what I really want to know is what is the, collaborative process for you like does the director and the writer do they come and tell you the whole story do they share what they want from the music or are you given more control over how you want the the tone to be and all of that well it depends on the director yeah. certain directors are very uh, fixed on a particular zone Right. And uh, certain directors are open to exploring different zones. Hmm. Sometimes, uh, and certain directors are open to open for me to decide the zone. Right. So there are three three gradations. One hmm. is where a director is really headstrong about a particular zone, and within that that zone, I have to find something original and creative, creative while trying uh, trying to stick to a particular sound, right. which for me is. Uh, I mean, to find originality in a uh, derived situation yeah. is very challenging. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so that is one process. The second yeah. process is the director and me. We uh, sit, uh, like you know, discuss a bunch of different films that this film could be a cousin of. Yeah. In terms of referencing. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Referencing is one of perhaps one of the most important ways that. Uh, the filming process uh, happens. The referencing is important because it reduces risk. Mm -hmm. There is a huge amount of investment that goes into making of a film. Sure, and yeah. the only way to reduce that risk of what you will go is to find something that it will look and sound like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then do the math. Okay, if it looks and sounds like somewhat this, then how would the audience take it? Yeah, producer's job. Like, but at the end of the day, whatever you do will be uh, approved by the producer. So you have to cull out your own originality, and you have to dig a little hole for yourself, yeah. which is your own original hole within the small little uh, perimeter of space that they give you. Some yeah. musicians think that it's unoriginal to make music for a picture because then it's not this thing. I was just having this conversation with a uh, a singer yesterday, and I told him that the process is less feudal. When yeah. uh, you are writing your own song, it's a feudal process because you are the lord and master of all the music that's going to come out. Right, right. And you decide. But when you are writing to picture, yeah. then it's, it's an exercise in musical humility. Hmm. Because then there are constraints and you have to stay within those constraints and still try and stand tall, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so that is process number two. where, And the process number three is where which will only happen to a composer a little bit down the line after he's got a little bit of recognition. And uh, that's what happened with uh, Kia and Cosmos, where the director had faith right. in what... Uh, but uh, even then, even then he had a zone where he wanted the music to be in. Yeah. And because he had that zone, he chose me. Mm. So you see, the, the culling has happened at the choosing of the music director yeah. also. yeah. Because he's seen, uh, again, like I'm a very varied music director because I've done like some dark score for dark electronic noise score for Ludo. I've done some uh, like orchestral uh, stuff for Tashid Desh. I've done like rock and roll for rock and roll rap for Gandu. I have a rock and roll band myself. I've done some ukulele folk stuff for Lakhome Ek. So it's hard for people to 
really know what uh, which way I can bend it. Right. But uh, the sound designer of this film, uh, he really liked the work that I did on Zero Kilometers, and he could see that you know, and he had also seen little things, and so he knew that I would be able to uh, uh, like address a emotive situation very well. Yeah. So that way, that's, the director came to me, and he the director was like very fond of. Uh, Emily, of course. Mm. Every director seems to be very fond of Emily. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and the score and the score of Emily, because that's quite an iconic score. Yeah. You know, 21 yeah. Grams, Emily, these kind of scores uh, become the most go-to references that uh, that, I've, that have been coming to me. Like, once I've moved here, I've, I'm seeing that, like, everyone keeps quoting these yeah. uh, as references. So, um so that worked beautifully because I was straight up my street melodically. Even I like to bend it into a slightly unpredictable, but again, like a accessible spot. Yeah. I love that thing of when it's unpredictable, new, yet accessible. Right. So I feel I've really like achieved something with that because it's very difficult to do. So, uh, yeah. I yes. Guess. So <laughs> we've had, uh, I appreciate all the time you've put. I have one final question. The thing yeah. that I that I like to close on is, you know, I did that with Rucher when I spoke to him and, and Sid, I don't I think you know Sid as well. Mm. Uh Sid Master. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, of course. So yeah. the thing that uh I like to ask at the end is like I told you, you know, we have I have a lot of young creative people listening to this. What okay. kind of uh advice or piece of wisdom would you give to, you know, someone in their teens or late teens right now who is trying to figure out what kind of artist they want to be and how they want to apply all that stuff in their head into something that you live by, something that you want to share with them? Oh, uh, yeah, I think balance, balance. The word is balance that I'd say right now in terms of uh, uh, like, you know, if you're like a very serious bloke um, and who's really into your art form and you're spending a lot of time practicing and doing all that, balance it with going out and partying and actually getting some real life experience from things yeah so that when you actually put all this music to a context there is uh, the context is an informed context hmm. for for you to have that context you need to have had a life on the other hand if you're like a party animal who's like naturally gifted and you know music comes very easy to you so you don't want to spend too much time on it but you're like you know chasing tail and yeah. fucking doing drugs and all that then you know give it some time bro give music a little more serious time so that's why i'm saying balance is really right, important right i would say so we, i mean it's important and also the understanding of oneself i mean there's no advice that i can really give anyone everyone's got to find their own path and to do that i would say that think a little bit about who you are yeah and uh, because if you don't have that sorted then uh, i feel uh, the music you make might not end up being relevant <laughs>